morning, everyone. Welcome to Crosstown. Happy Father's Day to the gentlemen out there. Hey, I just, uh, it's a great day. It's an awesome day. Our series plotline, I think, is going to be really good for you today. But before we get jumped into that, I'm excited because today is an amazing holiday. Today is Juneteenth. Yeah, absolutely. You have every right to be excited about it. Matter of fact, I, uh, I've been an American for 63 years. I, I'm only 63 years old, so there wasn't a point when I switched from communism to uh, democracy or anything like that. But I will tell you this. I've watched a lot of stupid holidays come down the American pike once in a while, you know, all kinds of different things. But when I started looking into Juneteenth, my when I discovered that it is the oldest African-American holiday ever celebrated, and I'm just now joining the party, I, it was really eye-opening. And um, it's amazing. See, as, as a white American, I, July 4th has always been symbolic of the day that we had freedom in the context from England and all that other stuff. I think whether as a white American or as an early American of the Founding Fathers, I think we had a concept that we didn't understand how great it was. We didn't understand that it could have power for everybody. We might have seen the interest that it provided for us and the resolve that it provided for us on the issue of England, but now we're beginning to discover that this is an equality, a liberation that should be happening for all people. And, if, and speaking for, for the white folks that are my age, most of us didn't know what this holiday was. We, we really didn't. And so I did a little bit of research about it. Um, it commemorates General Order Number 3 by the Union Army, General Gordon Granger, on June 19th of 1865 to declare and to enforce the Emancipation Proclamation and the 13th Amendment of the Constitution. See, the problem was is that the, the Emancipation Proclamation was put into law, the, uh, the uh, 13th Amendment took place, but yet it took a while for it to make its way across the Americas. And so the Union sent out this order to inform every state that this emancipation had taken place so that it would affect everyone. And that's the date that commemorates that. But as an American, I have seen, growing up in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, 2000, I, I should be dead the more I keep going into this. But seeing all this is, is that the slow progression that has been taking place. But yet now we are making a decision as Americans. We are not a perfect country. We are not a country to be given up on. We are not a country to be burnt down. We are a country that has the ability to learn, love, and lead. And Juneteenth is one of those expressions of all of us embracing liberty for all people. So it is one of the greatest holidays. And, and I know, I'm, I'm talking to other guys that are my age, and Calvin, you know, just to kind of let you know how this works, is that... A lot of us, people, somebody came up to me and said, Pastor Paul, you woke. I'm like, I'm not stupid woke. I'm, I'm, I'm not woke. I, the revelation of Christ is expanding in my heart. You know, in July 4th, we saw, we saw liberty and equality as something, but, 
but as predominantly white um, colonists, we only saw it in our context. We didn't have an understanding that what we were holding on to could be something even greater, you know? So instead of us burning down America and burning the flag, but rather seeing we've got this great idea, e pluribus unum, this idea that out of the many, this one beautiful, amazing country happens. So today I stand with my black brothers and sisters in America and joyfully saying, I'm sorry, I'm late to the party, but this is a great federal holiday. It sure makes more sense than Earth Day. And so why save the earth if we're going to hate our neighbor? And today, so let me encourage you. Let me, let me encourage you, get a hold of this. this. Get a hold of this. And I want to pray for our country. Father, we pray that as Americans that we can go beyond the Emancipation Proclamation, that we can go beyond, beyond the 13th Amendment, that we can go beyond General Order 3, that we can go beyond the Civil Rights Movement of 1965, that we can continue to affirm the divine image in every American by providing equality of opportunity for all. God, this is a great country. Any country that can learn from its mistakes should not and cannot be erased from the surface of the earth. And God, today, we stand together as Americans. We can be taught we can love, and we can lead. Empower us through your word and through your spirit. In Jesus' mighty example, we pray, amen. Amen. Man, love it. Absolutely love it. Um, on a lesser note, to make a nice, you know, as a speaker, you look for a transitional moment, you know, it's the kind of like, whoo, that was heavy, let's get into something. So let's talk about my sneakers. Um, so I got these really cool sneakers on. Aren't they, aren't they cool? Look at them. Yeah, they're, I didn't know they were orange, but Clemson fans, you should be happy with me. I'm colorblind. I thought they were brown. Uh, so, but they actually are orange. And you say, well, why are you talking about your sneakers? Well, about four weeks ago in a sermon, I mentioned that I was wearing a dead guy's shoes because I buy my shoes on eBay and I buy them used. And it's like just something I do. I like it. You know, you can get a really nice quality shoe for $35 and well, we had some listeners in Kansas who, who are a little bit more medically astute, and they said, that's not good for your back. You're wearing a foot pattern of a, of a dead guy. So they, so they sent me money to buy new shoes. <laughs> Incredible. So these are them. So I want to thank our friends in Kansas. Yeah. And I also wanted to share my need for a sports car. My car really isn't a good car, and I need to go faster. So, uh, you know, let's see what you can do in Oklahoma. Where are you, Oklahoma? <laughs> uh, so last week we started our series called Plotline, and we're rediscovering what is it that God's doing because, you know, we can easily forget that. We, you know, we've lost the plot line maybe for a while of what America's supposed to be, okay? We all know it's a great idea probably one of the greatest ideas other than Christianity that ever hit the earth. But isn't it possible to lose the plot? You can lose the plot line to your marriage. You know, 
we, you can forget what it was supposed to be about when you were standing with each other and you were looking at each other and, and said that you were going to... And you can lose the plot line of your family. And it's easy. And I will say that in, that in America, we have lost the plot line of Christianity. Uh, we turned it into issue-driven responses to our culture. So last week, we looked at eternal life and we talked about as a Christian that we are not only in the age of man, but we are also in the kingdom of our Christ. And that's, that's really powerful. Uh, that means because of this eternal story, I can endure the disappointments in a temporary story. That I'm a part of something, not only do I have my feet planted on, on the earth, but also I'm a part of something that will go on forever good. But today we're going to increase our knowledge of things that we have heard about and really don't understand. And I tell you, and I do it too, Christians mimic all the time. We mimic what we're taught. Now, that's part of a learning process. But when it comes to Christian faith, you want the ideas to move into the, the space of worldview, your meta-narrative, the story of who you are. But we'll, we'll tend to use phrases and, and ideas and not really know what they mean. And today we're going to be talking about sacrifices and the atonement. Everyone of you here have heard the word sacrifices and atonement. But I guarantee you, every one of you have looked into the Bible or have heard Bible stories and said to yourself, why is this daggum thing so bloody? Why are they killing these little animals? Why is it so harsh? You know, why is the story so visceral? And a lot of us, and we just, we will mimic what we're told and we'll go on with it, but we don't really kind of get it. So much so, there's been a philosophical movement even within church, I don't really want to call it church, but it, that, that the Christian story is so patriarchal driven, so antiquated, that it doesn't make any sense anymore. And I think the reason why we come to that conclusion is not because of scholarship, not because of intellect, but because we lost the plot line. We don't get it anymore. So today we're going to dive into the concept of atonement, and I'm just hoping and praying that it will kind of like, oh, that's what this is about. Let's watch together. We all long for the world to be good, for people to live in peace, act with love and justice, but there's a problem. Something compels us humans to constantly wreak havoc and destruction instead, and we call this evil. And from the Bible's point of view, evil ruins things in at least two ways. There's a direct effect of our evil, like when someone steals from another person, they've created injustice. Hmm. Now, therefore, you know, they owe something to make it right. But there's another indirect effect of evil, because they've also ruined the environment of the relationship, creating a lack of trust, there's emotional damage. It's like vandalism, and they need to make that right, too. Now, many people believe, hey, God is good. He should be the one to just get rid of all the evil in the world. But let's be honest. I mean, the evil that I see everywhere out there, it's the same evil that's inside of me. We have all contributed, and, and we keep doing it. And so this kind of puts us in a bind. If God's going to rid the world of evil, he'll have to get rid of us. And this is what's so remarkable about the story of the Bible. This God is so good that not only is he going to rid the world of evil, he's going to do it without destroying humanity. So how is he going to do that? Well, early in the story of the Bible, we're introduced to this practice of 
animal sacrifice, which I know, it seems weird to us, but for the Israelites, it was a very powerful symbol of God's justice and of his grace. So remember, I'm a contributor to the evil that's in the world. I should be removed. But God is allowing this animal's life to be a substitute. It's symbolically dying in my place. And the biblical word for this is atonement, which means to cover over someone's death. But there's a second part to this ritual. Remember, evil also causes this relational vandalism. And in the Bible, this idea is described as polluting or defiling the land and making it unclean. So the priest would symbolically wash away the vandalism by sprinkling the animal's blood in different parts of the temple. So the animal's blood is cleaning things? Well, remember, this is a symbol, and it's a symbol that we're not used to. The blood represents life. And the sprinkling of the blood is this representation of how God is cleaning away these indirect consequences of evil in their community. In the Bible, this process is called purification. And so the temple and the land now become a clean space where God and his people can live together in peace. So this ritual makes things right between Israel and God. And more than that, the Israelites experience God's love and his grace through these symbols. And by being forgiven, ideally, this would compel them to become people of love and grace too. Right, that's the ideal, but it wasn't always happening. Right. So the prophet Isaiah, for example, he talks a lot about this. He opens his book by saying that the continual sacrifices of the Israelites had become meaningless because they were also allowing great evil in their midst, ignoring the poor and the oppressed. Even the Israelite kings were distorting justice. But Isaiah looked forward to a day when a new king from the line of David would come and deal with evil, but in a surprising way. The king would become a servant and not just serve, but also suffer and die for the evil committed by his own people. And his life would be offered as a sacrifice. And this is the promise Jesus believed he was fulfilling. He's the king of Israel suffering and dying on the cross. In fact, Jesus himself used Isaiah's words when he said that he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that word ransom refers to a sacrifice of atonement. And so all over the New Testament, we hear about how Jesus' death was an atoning sacrifice for us. It covered the debt that humans owe God for contributing to all of the evil and death in his world. But the New Testament authors also talk about Jesus' death as providing purification. And so we hear about Jesus' blood as a symbol of his life, having this ability to wash away the vandalism that evil has caused in us and around us so we can now live at peace with God. So that's the meaning behind Jesus' death. But there's more to the story. Yeah, the New Testament makes this powerful claim that Jesus' death was not final. He rose from the dead. And so he's the sacrifice who broke the power of death and evil, which means that he lives on to offer his life to anyone who will accept it. He is the perfect sacrifice to which all the previous sacrifices were pointing all along. So because of Jesus, the early Christians stopped participating in the ritual of animal sacrifice. But they were given new rituals. There are two that Jesus taught his followers to perform. The first is called baptism. Just as Jesus died, so going into the water becomes this personal connection you now have to his death. And in coming out of the water, you, so to speak, come back to life with Jesus. So baptism is the sacred ritual that joins your story to Jesus' death and his resurrection. 
The second ritual is called the Lord's Supper, which is a reenactment of Jesus' last meal with his disciples, and he used bread and wine to portray his coming death as a sacrifice. And so now, followers of Jesus, they take the bread and the cup regularly to remember and to participate in the power of Jesus' death and in his life. So these rituals, they remind us of God's love and encourage us to live a life of love and grace. But they do more than that. They connect us to a new life source. The very power that brought Jesus back from the dead is the same power that can deal with the evil in our own lives and transform us into people who lead lives of love and peace. What an amazing presentation. Absolutely incredible presentation about this concept of atonement. Um, it, It just shows that this is an incredibly beautiful plot line that we've lost. Um, Remember, uh, people have tried to come up with other plot lines, and and in more recent mythology, uh, the Marvel Universe has tried to deal with the problem of sin, the problem with evil. Remember, Ultron, his idea was to wipe out all humans and the Avengers because he saw that humans were the problem on planet Earth. See, the deductive reasoning of, of the problem of evil was the same in the Marvel universe as it is in Christianity. But the solution in the Marvel universe is to wipe out humanity. Or then you had Thanos, who maybe is also a kind of a big, ugly, purple guy, but um, he, his idea was that he was going to just eliminate half of us throughout the universe, and that would kind of correct this problem with evil. It kind of shows that, that there is a problem of evil that all of us are aware of and, and are built into story, but atonement through God has the power to save all of us by putting all of that instead of wiping us from the planet. Because if you want to save the earth, remove the humans. Uh, instead of removing humans, it was like, no, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the problem of evil And we're going to let God remedy it for us because we can't seem to do it ourselves. And this is the story of atonement. You know, people will will say, okay, well, that's a big, ugly, bloody story. Why the heck would God create a world like this anyway? And there is a lot of philosophy behind this. A lot of of weed has been smoked talking on this subject. I mean, this is a really big issue about the problem of evil and why God would create a universe with the problem of evil. And, and I subscribe to an idea, and again, this is my idea. This is an idea that's been affirmed by theologians. Um, I don't know if I'm right. So I just want to let you know, I've just stopped, stepped a little bit into the realm of commentary and less, less biblical authority, okay? So I just, my idea is that without evil in the world, the choices of humans would not be significant. That the soulish outcome would be diminished if we were not presented with real choices, real significant choices. See, I think God in this paradise story of Adam and Eve putting a piece of fruit there, um, I don't think there's any power in the piece of fruit. I think where the power is in the locus of determination of the will is that God put something in Adam and Eve so that to develop their soul, that we're not just automatons, 
mimicking, like so many of us do in Christianity, mimicking what we've heard and what we've been told, but rather he actually puts us into a place where we are faced with a significant choice. And the reason why he does this is to produce a significant soul. Every morning I get up and I talk to my wife, I talk to God, and I talk to Alexa, okay? And I'll say, Alexa, what is today's forecast in Charleston, South Carolina? Today's forecast is, and she goes into us, and then she'll say at the end of it, Paul, have a good day. Or no, she'll actually say, Paul, I hope you have a good day. And every time I hear it, I will like mock Alexa. Because I will be like, first of all, you don't know what Paul is. You have no idea what Paul is. You're mimicking. And then you have no idea what hope is. It is, it is you're just mimicking something that was said. And so from my point of view, if evil's not present in the world, then all we're going to do is mimic. And in the mimicry, there is no significant development of the soul. It's when we deal with divorce. It's when we deal with cancer. It's when we deal with war. It's when we deal with back injuries. It's when we deal with inflation and all the other things, things that we normally would call unnecessary evils in the world, that our souls are finally engaged. Why did it take us so long to figure out Juneteenth? You know, why did it take us so long? Because sometimes we have to encounter opposition, anger, conflict, in order for us to, to think, am I in the right place of soul that I should be? Do I need to rethink something? Do I need to grow in something? So in my mind, I, I kind of go in that direction. Uh, one of the greatest intellectual philosophical minds in the world is an American philosopher. His name is Alvin Plantica. Um, he held the chair of philosophy at Notre Dame. Um, and he, he put forth in his book called Warrant. Uh, it, it's really tough to read. I, matter of fact, I'll admit, I couldn't get through it. it was, I've read a lot of books, but I just couldn't get through his book. But he came up with this idea, is that the world with sin and evil, with a redemptive story that involves God making a sacrifice personally, is greater and more elegant and more rich than a world where evil does not exist. And you come to think about it, and it's like, you know, you're right. You know, you really don't... Have you ever wondered about why is the atonement so gross? Why make it bloody? Why not just have God on some Passover just say, hey, just want to let you know, took care of it. Took care of what? I just took care of it. Well, I don't, I don't know what you took care of because I thought I was pretty good on my own. It's like, no, just took care of it. Just want to let you know, slate's clean, everybody's forgiven. But yet there's something in the visceral nature of the cross that you see, I think it has two components to it. One is the component of the severity of what it is that I do wrong is displayed. You know, because I'm kind of walking around like an ordinary person as long as I don't murder, as long as I don't steal your car, as long as I don't, you know, mess with your wife, I kind of feel I'm pretty good, you know, like I'm a pretty good guy. But all of a sudden the cross comes along and declares that we're broken, we're fallen, and, and, and we're in error. And it's like, it's offensive. 
But you know, it's like with my back injury two and a half years ago. I needed to be offended. I needed, and I know some of you don't get this in the faith journey. I am thankful for the injury. Some of you already knew how vain and arrogant I was two and a half years ago. If you didn't know it, I just let you know. I was going to be a 65-year-old, 70-year-old, 80-year-old mountain biking champion. I was going to, I used to look at people in wheelchairs at Walmart, you know, people who were driving around with type 2 diabetes and bumping into your, your ankles all the time. And I used to turn around and look at them. It's like, you need to get your fat butt out of that, that thing and, and, and go to the gym. You say, well, I can't believe you just said that. Well, I'm telling you what, I thought it. And some of you think that too. But it was only when I had to deal with the issue of suffering and pain that all of a sudden it was exposed and all of a sudden, the cross is like, yeah, I see me up there. I see the grossness of my prejudice, the grossness of my arrogance, the gross. It's like, that's why it's so visceral, is to let me realize, Paul, you're not as pretty and as, you know, it's as good as you think you are. And this is God's testimony. No, you're not as wonderful as you think you are. On the other side, I think the contrast of it is, is it shows you how amazing God loves you. I've been married for 35 years, well, 34 years. Daggummit, if I better get this right or it won't be 35 years. I, I, I've been married for a wicked long time. And you know, roses don't get it done no more. You know, and let me just a tip for you guys. Never give a rose to your wife in the wrapper with the barcode on it from Publix, okay? First of all, if she figures out you got it from Publix, she knows it was a last minute thought. If you have the back barcode on it, she knows exactly what you paid for it. And if you got it in the plastic wrapper, you're just cheap, okay? You need to cut that bag off. She doesn't need to know all that information. But after 35 years, um, there are now these more elegant ways that I express my love to, to my wife. And the cross is the most elegant, deepest way that God could communicate how passionate he is about you. He could have just said, hey, just want to let you know, send out an email, everybody's forgiven. Just forgiven. But there's something about the cross that even in my worst days, when I look at the cross, it's like, yeah, okay, I'm a J-hole, but that cross says I'm forgiven. And that says I'm a child of the living God. And it's like, that's pretty visceral, but it had to be in order for it to get into the depths of my soul of who I am. So I don't, I don't know what answer for the problem of evil that you come up with and what you reject or not, but the bottom line is this. Atonement is God's solution, and it's God's solution at God's expense. But the real word that grabbed me in the video, in the teaching illustration, was not a word, it wasn't atonement. It was the word vandalism. Because I never heard of sin talked about as vandalism. And most of us, as 21st century people, we shut down on the word sin. And it's like, oh yeah, that's an archaic, old-time word. It doesn't apply today. So I love the word vandalism. Um, because we need to all admit that th we contribute to the problem of evil. Every one of us vandalized to some degree. Now, we can all agree quantit quantitatively that Hitler is probably like the supreme commander of evil, but 
nonetheless, that we have all been a part of vandalizing the plot of God, the plot line of God for ourselves, or maybe in our children's lives, or in our spouses' lives, or in our society, that we to some degree have vandalized. We all have spray cans in our hands. We all do. So I looked up the legal definition of the word vandalism. And uh, vandalism is a broad category crime that is used in a lot of different behaviors. But here's the technical part. Generally, it involves any willful behavior aimed at destroying, altering, or defacing property belonging to another. Okay? It's like, that's a pretty interesting thing. Any property belonging to anyone else that defacing. See, this is why Juneteenth is so important. It's like, because slavery is the defacing of property that belongs to somebody else, a people who belong to God. You know, so when you begin to all of a sudden realize, wait a minute, I'm vandalizing. It's like, well, you, you can say all day long you're not a racist. But, and I get that, and I don't consider myself a racist. But when you think about vandalism, it's like, yeah, I think, I, I think I'm guilty of vandalism. I think I've been guilty of defacing another person's reputation or, or altering uh, the, the plan for another person's life. I think I've, I've done, the moment that I've whispered a gossip to another person or talked about another person or complained about the pastor or whatever it is you may be doing, you know, you got your spray can out and you, shh. I think, can't we all admit that we're a part of that in some way? In addition to actual behavior, vandalism is actually categorized. You can be arrested for having, and this is a legal definition. I don't know where they came up with this example, but you can be arrested for the means to commit vandalism, meaning that you have a drill bit or a glass cutter in your pocket. Now, I don't know what you're going to be doing with a drill bit or a glass cutter in your pocket. But apparently, vandalism is not just the acts that we commit, but also the intent that we may have towards another person. Am I getting a little closer to home about the, the, how the environment of relationship has been affected by the negative things that we do? In context, in our context for today, vandalism is the willful thought and behavior aimed at altering, defacing, or destroying the plot line of God in your life or in someone else's life, that you undermine that plot line. See, we're celebrating Father's Day. When I went through my divorce, I remember my ex-wife, and she's a good person, and, and she committed no crime against me. Um, uh, I had a spray, pan, spray can in my hand, and I defaced the relationship, so I, I, I'll own that. Um, but there was at one point where for the ease of the divorce, that she made a statement that you hear quite often, why don't you just leave me and Dawn alone and just give me full custody of her, let her go, and so she can go on her life so that she doesn't have to deal with the sorrow of a divorce and she can get on with her life. Now, as a single, I was, I was, I forget, yeah, I was about 29 years old, maybe 28 years old. As a young guy, I was like, yeah, that sounds right. But I was so thankful. That, that God said, no, you are responsible for that little girl. And you do not have the right to vandalize your fatherhood. You may have screwed up your husbandry with your wife, 
okay? And she may have screwed up that her wife relationship with you, but don't you vandalize your fatherhood because now you will allow your daughter to be affected by the divorce. Now, all divorce affects everybody involved. You can say, well, this is just between your mother and me. Well, in a technically, in a legal sense, in a relational sense, it is. But don't you think for a second that divorce does not affect children. But that doesn't mean I have to allow my child to be vandalized by the divorce. And so it was like, no, I'm sorry. And so I would send her VHS tapes. Every month she'd get a VHS tape of, I, you know, I had one of those big cameras, you know, you put on your shoulder and I would videotape me doing something and send it to her. And, and I would fly down there and I would send her gummy bears and, and constantly, you know, demanding to speak on the phone. And it's like, well, you know, why go through all that conflict? Because I am not going to let this child be vandalized by a lack of fatherhood. I will take this even a step further. This problem that we're having with sexual identity, transgenderism, and all the other stuff, it's not because these people are evil, okay? I think it's because the concept of fatherhood has been vandalized in America, okay? Because I, all I see is my little granddaughter walk into her dad's room and twirl like a ballerina and say to her dad, Daddy, am I a ballerina? And he affirms, you are a ballerina. Could you imagine if she comes into the room and spins and nobody affirms what she is? Nobody celebrates her, her being female. And all of a sudden now, we've got to figure out what we are. See, we are only getting what we have caused through vandalism. So guys, can I just tell you personally, do not apologize for being male. Don't, don't apologize for being a dude because we need dudes. We need, we need you to be a dude. And if you're a dad who's gone through a divorce like I have had, yeah, your marriage is over, but your fatherhood is just beginning. Amen. Don't give up on it. Okay? So, I, I'm sorry. It's just a personal experience that I went through. But vandalism is altering his plan, defacing his plan, destroying his plan. Now, we don't technically destroy God's plan because we're told the gates of hell can't prevail against it. But I can destroy the benefits of God's plan for my wife by not forgiving her, by talking to her rudely, by not considering her needs, whatever. I can deface and alter the plan of what this marriage was about. Remember, you were standing in front of the preacher and you were so in love and you thought you were so different. And then out came the spray paints, usually about year three. Jerk. I can't say that word. You know, but spray paints, all these words start getting sprayed on top of each other. Calvin knows what word I was referring to. Um, So um, let me jump ahead. Even though I have been faithfully married to my wife in a heterosexual context, in a covenant established by God called marriage without committing adultery and having an extramarital affair. I wanted to make sure that all the biggies that we label as being Christian, he's a good guy. I want to tell you, standing right in front of you, I have still, at times, vandalized my marriage. You know, I have vandalized it. When I've talked to her the wrong way, when I haven't forgiven her. I mean, there's so many ways. 
It's like, well, you're a good dad. I want to be a dad. It's like, no, there were, t- there were times when I, I, I remember one time I vandalized uh, Dawny. Uh, she's my oldest. And uh, I remember she was three years old. I was single parenting at the time. Uh, it, 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 that's quite a journey, but you got to have the courage to do it. You got to, it's still worth doing just because it's hard. Still do it. And so I remember taking her to the bathroom and because I was a dude and she's a girl, it was kind of, there were some awkward moments like going to a public bathroom with a bunch of guys. I had to tell all the guys, hey guys, I'm bringing my daughter in. Could you, could you kind of clean it up? You know, so there was these awkward moments. I tried going into the woman's bathroom with her, but then I got arrested and that didn't go well. No, no, I'm only kidding about that. But I remember one time I put her in the toilet and all of a sudden I heard her screaming, screaming. And I was like, Dawn, don't come out until you're finished. And she's screaming and screaming, but dad, dad is. It's like, and I'm like, no, you stay in there. And um, I finally opened the door and I said, what's wrong? She gets off the potty and she's with her feet, you know, like that and come over here. And there's a giant palmetto bug upside down in the toilet. And it's like, she remembers that to this day. You say, what was that? Am I forgiven for it? Absolutely. She's forgiven me. Jesus has forgiven me. But that was a moment when I just, I exasperated my daughter. I couldn't take a moment to stop to find out what was frightening her. You know, so let me just encourage you. It's, we're, we're called to, to change the environment of relationships with this incredible grace of God. I want you to hear what Paul talks about vandalism. And, I, and I'm, I'm, saying, I'm not doing this so that you'll feel bad about yourself. I, I'm, I'm, I'm reading this so that you'll see, oh, maybe I do need an atonement. Because right now, pretty much all the Christian church thinks that needs to be atoned, uh, uh, atoned for is uh, homosexuality, transgenderism, and abortion. Okay? It's, I mean, at least the way that we talk to the world, it seems like those are the only people doing anything wrong on planet Earth. Apostle Paul says, hey, let me, let's talk about spray cans. Okay? Paul says in Ephesians, best book in the Bible, he says, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth to each other, to each one of, uh, of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. He who steals must steal no more. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. Ah, there goes all my David Chappelle comic stuff. I mean, I like me some Chappelle, you know? But it's like, yeah, but really, isn't there maybe some vandalism going on in there? Is he talking about people the way that people who are created in the image of God should be talked about? Is this really going to solve the problem of humanity? Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. See, this is what we're supposed to be doing. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It's like we can actually vandalize the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Can't stop it, but we can vandalize it. He said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger 
and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Paul, you really had an opportunity here to hammer the homosexuals. You really had an opportunity to really, you know, it's like, no, I think I'm doing a good job. Because bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and all kinds of malice, oh yeah, we've got that in our spray cans. Think about the last conversation you had about your boss. I'll push you a little bit further. Because we think it's our civil liberty. Think about the last conversation you had about Joe Biden. Yeah, but he's an idiot. Let's go, Brandon. I think it's a heck of a funny thing. But is it, is it the calling of Christ in our lives? Are we going to become a better, better country because of vandalizing Joe Biden? Yeah, but look what they did to Trump. We're just paying them back. Okay, is that the world you live in? You got your feet in the world of, of man? And are they they and them and us? Be careful what you associate with or call us. But we're called to something so much better. So when I think about it, it's like, yeah, I've go, yeah, I think I've been involved in some of these conversations. I don't like inflation, and I'll vote against it. But all maller, uh, maller, I made that word up. All clamor and malice and anger and wrath and bitterness. Even listen to this. Therefore, be imitators of God, his beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma, beautiful atonement. But immorality, it's like, really, that's the only word you're going to use that has sexual context? Yeah, it's like, just, yeah, that's all I need to say. Or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you. Not even named among you. Not even just a little can as is proper among saints, and there must be, and here's, here it goes, 50% of my conversation skills. There must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse gesturing, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. I'm telling you what. Um, I just love going through those videos on Instagram. Maybe I'm just like an old man, but I just love going through that and some of the jokes that are told and you know, and I have certain people in the church that can handle a dirty joke and I'll send that video to them, but I won't send it to this other person because they get it, you know, because they're real Christians. It's like, you know what? No, it's compromise and every, it's vandalism on every single level. Just think about that. Do you have a girlfriend, ladies, do you have a girlfriend that you can talk about other, other ladies with and you have a comfortable relationship? I know you won't share it. Uh, or, or maybe we use it in, in Christian church. I need you to pray for so-and-so because I heard she's this. And, you know, Christian prayer requests have been used for so much clamor and malice over the years, permission for gossip. And God says, I don't even want it mentioned among you. When I gossip, I vandalize. When I fail to encourage, I vandalize. When I gush with jealousy, I vandalize. I don't say this to make you feel bad about yourself. I just say it so that you can have an honest moment. Didn't you feel, I hope you felt, when I talked about Juneteenth, and if you're a white American my age, 
didn't you kind of like all of a sudden go, oh yeah, that is a good holiday. Why wouldn't we celebrate that holiday? That talks about the greatness of my America, our America, that we can learn, that we can grow, that we can take the next step forth to give dignity to every human being. Didn't you, didn't you feel good? But didn't it take a moment of exposure before you could come to a conclusion that you needed to change? And that's all God's doing here today is that if he's exposed you of any malice, clamor, whatever it may be, he's just doing it so that you will see how amazing atonement, the atonement offer is. That we can become children of the living God and not just have our feet stuck in being white or black or Democrat or Republican or male or female. You know, that we could be so much more that the human soul can respond to evil through the power of atonement and become so much more and that the image of God and man can shine forth. All right, I'm out of time. And so let me just close with this. Why death on the cross? I think I said it earlier, but the gruesomeness of the atonement is, is to contrast the depth of our infraction and to, to expose the extremity of God's love. God so loved you and me that he gave his only begotten son. I don't know how he could have shun, shown this more. I mean, really. And I know that in, in philosophy today, we want to do away with the concept of sin, morals, absolutes, and we just want to shove it off to the side, you know, proclaim God dead and all this other stuff, and this is all archaic, and go, all, okay. But what we're going to find out is we're still dirty. We're still, we're gonna still figure that out. We're still, and, and now what do I have to cleanse me? Who cleanses me? And, and society's only way to cleanse is to cancel. So before you cleanse yourself of the atonement story, ask yourself the question, how will you cleanse yourself or who will cleanse you? from your vandalism because we all commit it. Jesus was a real person who really died, rose from the dead, appeared to over 500 people. In just a matter of days later, the power of the Holy Spirit attested to by over 3,000 people and the effect that it had on the city of Jerusalem that this man who died on the cross really rose on the third day that you and I may have new life. God is not offering any other way for you and I to be made right. The word atonement is an old English word. It really means at one ment. That's its etymology. At one ment. We put it all together and call it atonement. But it is the process of cleansing and purification and sacrifice of God through the blood of his son Jesus by which you and I are at one mint with God and that we are at one mint with one another. Why would we turn down so great a power? Through the atonement, Christ displays his power over the power of darknesses. Through the atonement, Christ's passion and death showed the length of affection that God would go to. 
through the atonement, Christ's death satisfies the call for justice by God. By the atonement, Christ's death takes upon himself the punishment of sin so that we could live forgiven and pardoned. And through the atonement, God offers us at one minute reconciliation with him. So as you come and receive communion today, just like we learned, it's more than just a table of remembrance. It is stepping into the kingdom of God. It is the only power of cleansing and washing that has the ability to change the human soul. But you're going to have to get real about your soul. You're going to have to get honest about your soul. It's the only thing that's going to have the power to change the world that we live in. I don't believe in equality for blacks because I'm afraid to get canceled. I don't believe in giving dignity to homosexuals because I'm afraid of what the world would do. I do all these things because in it is the power of God, the truth of God, the love of God. I don't forgive myself for my transgressions and all the evils that I have done and that seem to be ever present with me because I looked in the mirror and washed my face and said, I'm a good person and I've got a good heart. No, I allow myself to be forgiven because of atonement. It's a great idea. And if you wash it aside, you're going to have to come up with another one. And I'll tell you what the world will offer. There will be the rise of an Ultron and a Thanos. That's the only way the world solves the problem of vandalism. But Jesus offered himself. Father, thank you so much. And as we come into this moment, we thank you for this, is it wrong to say elegant story? It gets me so right in all my wrongness because it tells of how you took all my wrongness to give me all your rightness. God, that's not mythology. That's love, justice, truth, mercy, compassion, all wrapped in one. It's brilliant. And today, as I, as we come and receive the bread and the cup, we affirm the atonement, the one at one, the at one mint of God with my soul. 